The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Compassion. Compassion is a difficult word to explain, isn't it? If I were to ask you to define it for me, you might say that compassion is that hurting feeling I get when I see someone or something in pain. But that really doesn't do it justice, does it? No, compassion is better experienced than explained. It's not until you see that wounded animal or the crying child or the dying loved one that you know exactly what compassion is, even though you may not be able to explain it. Today, in God's word, we get to see exactly what compassion is. We get to see our Savior Jesus as the compassionate Christ, a compassionate Christ who not only loves us individually, but a compassionate Christ who also sends us individually. Our lesson this morning is from our gospel reading from Mark chapter 7. This is a strange story, isn't it? Fingers in ears, spit-covered hands touching a stranger's tongue. When I first read this story, I couldn't help but ask myself, Mark, why this one? Out of all the thousands and thousands of miracles that Jesus performed, why did you take the time, effort, paper, and ink to record this one? Because it just seems incredibly ordinary. I mean, Jesus healed hundreds, if not thousands, of people all the time. And there was nothing particularly extraordinary about where it was done. It wasn't in Jerusalem, in the capital. No, it was in a small town full of poor people that probably reeked like fish because it was so close to the sea. So what was Jesus doing in this dirty, stinky, and poor little town? Well, Mark tells us, There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And that's what he did. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. It's easy to get bogged down in the miracle itself, in the perfectly working ears, in the perfectly working tongue, but it still doesn't answer our question. Mark, why this one? Well, let me take you back to verse 33 and see if you can catch it. After he took him aside, away from the crowd. Do you see? Do you see why Mark records this one? He wants you to see your compassionate Christ, who loves people individually, 
If anyone's time was precious, it was Jesus's, right? But even in the midst of a massive crowd that was following him, Jesus took the time to go to this one man, a crippled man. And in that culture, he was the lowest of the low. God himself went to the aid of the lowest of the low. Could he have made it any more clear just how much he loved him? But what about us? Do we love like that? Do we love like Jesus? Not just putting on the American nice mask, holding out a hand and saying, how are you doing? But actually looking at someone for what they really are. A sinner in desperate need of a savior. Or... Have we convinced ourselves that some people are just not worth our time? Nothing would have stopped Jesus from healing this man. Where the man lived didn't stop him, the man's race didn't stop him, and the man's background didn't stop him. What would stop us from telling someone about Jesus? Could it be that there's a part of town that's just too dangerous or dirty, stinky, or disgusting? Could it be that there's a culture that's just too foreign, and honestly, if it would be a waste of time, both for me and for them, because it would be so awkward and it wouldn't just work out? Or could it be that this person has an ugly shadow that trails behind them, you know? the stuff that they said or they did, and you can't help but look at them and see what they did or hear what they said every time. And that would just be awkward, wouldn't it? Have we convinced ourselves that church is a perfect place for perfect people only? I have to admit to my shame that I have thought those things before. Maybe you have too. At moments like these, it's important to take a step back and look in the mirror. And if church is a perfect place for perfect people only, then what in the world am I doing here? We all have them. Those sins we try so hard to hide from the world. Those sins that if the people around us knew about them would make them look at us in a totally different way. Each and every one of us has at least that one thing that we've tried so hard to get rid of, and yet nothing that we do seems to work. Sin. It divides. And it compares. And it judges. And we've been dividing and comparing and judging even before we were born. As the psalmist says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. No one had to teach us how to sin. From the moment we were conceived, we decided that the best idea was to declare war against God and sin against him. And what did he do? 
Did he declare war back? Did he send down his angel army to destroy us as he had every right to? No. No, the perfect, almighty God looked down at this dirty, stinky, and disgusting world full of dirty, stinky, and disgusting sinners, and he felt that longing pain of love. He looked down at us and had compassion. And he not only looked down, but he also came down. And you know him as Jesus. So that his birth would be your birth. And that his life would be your life. For you see, in God's heart there was wrath. There was anger. There was hatred against every sinner. That wrath had our name on it. And he was moments away from unleashing everything he had on all of us. When Jesus stepped in and said, Father, what are you doing? You are a good and perfect God. You punish sinners. And as I look around, I see one sinner. I see me. Don't you remember that it was me? That I'm the one who hated you? That I'm the one who declared war against you? That I'm the one who sinned against you? You don't punish the innocent. You punish the guilty. You punish me. And he did. So that his death would be your death. And that his tomb would be your tomb. But that's not the end of the story, is it? If his death was your death and his tomb your tomb, that means that his empty tomb is your empty tomb. And that his resurrection is your resurrection and it, eternal life is yours. You are forgiven and free because Jesus took your place. Greater love as no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Could Jesus have made it any more clear just how much he loves us? We really do have a compassionate Christ who loves us individually. But that's not the end of our story. If you thought fingers and ears and spit-covered hands touching a tongue was weird, just wait. It's about to get weirder. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't want to be the one to tell you how to do your job. But isn't that the point? Aren't we supposed to tell people about who you are and what you've done? What do you mean, don't tell anyone? Well, at this point in Jesus' ministry, the people looked at him, and they saw a king and a savior. But not a king and a savior from sin, but a king and a savior from the oppressive military force that was over them, and from hunger and from illness. 
And the more they talked about this king and this savior, the one that was going to take away all their earthly problems, well, the less they cared about the king and the savior that was going to take away all their eternal sin problems. So that's why Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But it shouldn't be a surprise that they had no time for what Jesus had to say. But the more he did so, that is, tell them not to talk, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. When I was preparing this sermon a little while ago, I was talking with a friend, and she told me she was super excited for her surprise birthday party. And I was confused. Surprise party? Well, it doesn't sound like much of a surprise. She laughed and explained, my friends were just so excited they couldn't help but tell me all about it. Before we judge these men and women of old too harshly, let's remember that the hardest thing to do is keep quiet when we have exciting news to share. I mean, consider what they had just seen. They saw a miracle. God acted in an incredible way. They saw a man they probably knew their entire lives who had never heard and who barely talked, now hearing and talking as if he had done it the entire time. That is incredible. That is amazing. And they were excited. Of course, they couldn't help but talking. I'm going to ask you a similar question to the one I asked you earlier. What about us? Do we still have that same command not to talk? No, of course not. Instead of don't talk, it is make disciples of all nations, proclaim to the world what he has done, preach the gospel. These men and women were excited about something they didn't understand. They only had this tiny little miracle. All they saw was the working ears and the working mouth. They didn't see the cross. They didn't see the empty tomb. They didn't see salvation. And yet, they were excited. But we have it all. We have the greater miracle. We have an excitement beyond anything that they could imagine because we know the whole story. We not only have a compassionate Christ who loves us individually, but we also have a compassionate Christ who now sends us individually with this message of the forgiveness of sins that this world needs beyond any other message. And as you go, don't worry, you don't go alone. Jesus is with you right now. Not in a symbolic way or a remembrance way or I wish I could see him way or he's in my heart kind of way. No, he is here right now physically. He is here in his word. He is here in holy baptism. He is here at the Lord's Supper where he promises to strengthen your faith, to create that faith, to encourage you as you live your life looking forward to the day where you will receive that salvation that is promised. Could Jesus have made it any more clear just how much he loves us? We really do have a compassionate Christ. Compassion. It's always going to be one of those words that's better experienced than explained. 
But when you think of compassion, I hope you don't think of the wounded animal or the crying child or the dying loved one. But instead, I hope you remember your compassionate Christ, who not only loves you individually, but also sends you individually with the message of the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. So as you go, don't be afraid. Remember that in God's eyes, you are Jesus, and Jesus is you. You are forgiven and free, and there is no one that is able to change that. Amen.